You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Okay, we're going to start this morning uh, by reading from the book of Leviticus because we're already uncomfortable. We might as well get a little bit more, shall we? Uh, Leviticus chapter 10, it'll just be on the screen probably for you. I'm just going to read for you. You don't even need to turn there. It says this in Leviticus 10, starting in verse 1. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire to the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, it is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near to me, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people, I will be honored. So Aaron therefore kept silent. Welcome to Stonegate Church. This is uh, never a dull moment here. Uh, We are uh, uh, Leviticus. uh, If you've uh, not spent much time there, what's happening right here in those first nine chapters of Leviticus is uh, God is orienting uh, us to this new system of sacrifices and offerings and how the priests are meant to interact with all of that on behalf of the people. That whole thing is going down in the front part of Leviticus. And here in chapter 10, uh, basically what's happening is he's saying, okay, here's the rule book, now go play. And the priests get it, the sons of Aaron, and they start doing the thing. They start operating in the sacrificial system, but something's wrong. They're doing it in an odd way. They have, they bring strange fire, the text says, uh, before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And God sees that, and he's angry at that, and he smokes them. And it gives me the chance to ask us this question in light of this text. Does God care how you worship him? Uh, is there, uh, ask it a different way. Is, is there a wrong way to worship God? Is there a wrong way for us to worship God? Leviticus 10 says, you bet. Yes, there is. Does God care how he is worshiped? Yes, he does. And it's testified to throughout the whole Bible. And this is what's happening in the book of 1 Corinthians in the section we are in. I told you last week we entered into a new section that is uh, basically three chapters that could be titled How God Wants to Be Worshipped. How does God want to be interacted with? How, how, when we come together, are we to do this thing in a way that's pleasing to him? So you remember last week we were talking about, uh, it was the whole head covering thing and that that whole moment. And we discovered that last week that God wants to be worshipped in ways that um, embrace our roles as male and female, right? That that matters to him. That when we do that in worship, we're, we're actually testifying to the good story of Jesus Christ and the church. So that, that whole thing we talked about last week. In a couple weeks, we're getting into spiritual gifts. So stick around for that. That'll be fun. Uh, and in, in that passage, in, in that section of scripture, we're learning that God wants to be worshiped in a particular way where we are... Uh, using our gifts to encourage one another and build one another up and not in some flashy, look what I can do, I'm better than you kind of way. So there's a way that we interact with each other in service that pleases God and there's a way that, that 
doesn't. And this week, um, we are looking at the practice of communion, the, or the, the Lord's Supper, as, it call, as it's called here, or uh, some denominations would say the Eucharist, or uh, something like that, the Lord's Table. It is a sacrament. It's one of two sacraments that in the New Testament, the church is given to operate in. Um, the baptism and communion. These are habits, rhythms, liturgies, behaviors that when we come together as a church, we participate in, and it's doing something theological. It's teaching us something, training us to embrace something true uh, about Jesus and the gospel. And, and this is one of them. We're looking at communion. And they are doing communion. They are participating in the Lord's Supper in this text, but they're doing it in a way that's not pleasing to God. They're doing it in a strange fire kind of way to him. Now, what, what is going on? In, in what way are they offending God? Well, let's look at verse 18. He says this, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, <clears throat> I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Okay, so uh, you heard those two kind of buzzwords there. There's divisions, there's factions uh, going on in the church, uh, in communion. Now, this is not new news to us. We remember it from chapter 1 Paul came out of the gate saying, hey, here's what I've heard from Chloe's people. There are factions and divisions and schisms among you. You guys are dividing up and parsing off and being kind of a lead and I'm better than you. That thing has been happening since the beginning of this whole book. But here it's taking place in communion. In what way is that happening though? In what way is that faction thing working? Well, verse 20 tells us, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So what's happening in these divisions and factions is the Lord's Supper has been hijacked. It's been hijacked. The, there are people in the church, what, the well-off in particular, the wealthier folks in that church community, that congregation, that were turning this sacred moment called communion into golden corral. That's what happened. They're coming together and they're, they're stuffing their face and they're drinking the wine and they're eating all the things. They're doing that. It is mealtime. They've turned it into dinner time for them, except it's worse than Golden Corral, if that's even possible, because at least in Golden Corral, after you eat, they refill the trays. But here, they've wiped out everything. So all the food's gone, all the wine's gone, and what's left is nothing for the poorer folks in the church to participate in. They can't even take part in the Lord's Supper because it's all gone. All the other guys, the elites of the church had taken it all. And this is a really big problem. It's really, it's so bad, it's so big of a problem that some in the church are even experiencing God's like actual real-time judgment on them. So verse 30, he says, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Saying, look around, you guys notice a bunch of you are sick? Saying that's not an accident. The Lord's doing that. This is a type of discipline or judgment on you. Because, there are, because these folks, some of them are mishandling communion. And they're doing it in, su in such a horrible way. They were actually getting sick and some had even died because of how they mishandled worship. Does that sound familiar? 
Does that sound kind of Nadab and Abihu-e, right? Leviticus-e, that, that's what's going on. They're mishandling the worship of God and God is not okay with it. He's not pleased with it. He's saying that has to change. So it's very serious. The Lord's Supper, which in the Greek, if you were to translate that phrase literally here, it's the supper belonging to the Lord. So it's the Lord's Supper. It's not yours. It's the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper had been hijacked from some, by some rich members. And Paul's saying, what you've done, guys, is you've taken the Lord's Supper and you have made it your supper, right? It's been hijacked. It's Kanye at the VMAs, right? It's Taylor Swift's moment. But somehow, Kanye, you got the mic. And now it's somehow, it's all about you. Right? And what Paul's doing is going, that's exactly what's happening with you guys. This is the Lord's, this is the supper belonging to the Lord, but you grab the mic. The cameras are on you all of a sudden, and that's not okay with God. So, so he's going to school them right now on, on this, the whole point of communion, because he's, he's essentially saying, you've got it so twisted that it betrays the fact you don't even know what this thing is. You don't even know what this is about. You don't even know what we're doing here. So let me, over the next set of verses, explain what this thing is for you. So he's going to unpack for us the purposes of communion. He's going to give us two purposes, in fact, for communion. And listen, um, this is really important for us, too right? It might not seem that way because this uh, particular issue is not happening in our church. Like this particular thing, nobody is like gorging themselves on these little crackers, right? That's not a thing. It's really hard to get drunk on grape juice. The, the amount of grape juice you have to drink to get, I don't know, it's a lot, all right? And so it's that, this thing is not happening here, but it still matters for us that we get this straight because I don't think anybody here is saying we want to participate in this precious thing that, that the Lord Jesus gave us to do in a way that would dishonor him, in a way that would miss the point, in a way that wouldn't be self-reflective. So we want to come to this as a, the sacred thing that it is, yeah? So, so if you've ever like wondered, like what is, the, is this just like some random tradition that we do as a church? Today is your day to learn with us what the purpose of communion is. So let's learn about it together. Paul's first answer is this. Communion is for, what is the purpose? Communion is for Jesus. It is for Jesus. Now, I mean that in a couple ways. Uh, it's for remembering Jesus first as our sacrifice, right? So he says in verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Meaning, I heard this from Jesus. What I'm about to tell you, Jesus told me this. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So th this is hearkening back to, to the Gospels where Jesus said this to his disciples. It's that upper room moment. It's the night before uh, his crucifixion. And for most of us, I think it's fair to say, this is the meaning that we're most familiar with. If somebody says, what's communion for? You would probably say something like this. It's for me to remember Jesus's sacrifice. This is why we do it. And that is true. But I, before we just blow past that and move on to the, the next things, I just want us to make sure that we don't lose the preciousness of this. It is, it is 
crazy, isn't it? Like what? The God who gave you your body, he, the, one who, the God who made your body took on a body and then had his body break so your body wouldn't break because of your sin. Like the God who right now is telling your heart to push blood through arteries and veins and through your body, that God said yes to having his blood spill down a Roman cross so your blood wouldn't spill despite your sin, which you and I deserve for it to be spilled. That the God, God, guys, God took a body and then broke it for us. The one who made earth did that for us. This is a picture of a sacrifice and it's breathtaking, but it's, it's bigger than even that because it's not just a picture of a sacrifice. It's a picture of the sacrifice. This isn't a sacrifice. Because look, if you were a Jew experiencing this, like you just kind of got into the Christianity thing, this is like all you do, you just live in a world of sacrifice, right? This is all that happened constantly at the temple, constantly bringing bulls and goats and lambs and turtle doves to the temple to sacrifice them for your sin. This was the system that God set up under Moses in the Old Testament, which by the way, if you ever wondered like Old Testament, New Testament, what, is, what do those words mean? That, that word testament is the same word as the word covenant. So you could call the first part of your Bible the Old Covenant and the second part of your Bible the New Covenant. It's the same thing. So in the Old Testament or the New Covenant, there was a, uh, the, or the Old Covenant, there was a system that God set up through Moses uh, and part of that system uh, had this sacrificial element to it. M meaning for you and I to interact with God in a way that our sin wouldn't get in the way, something had to die. This was, this was the habit and ritual of the Old Testament. So if you're wondering in the Old Testament, why is there so much blood? Why is so many animals dying? This was the system that God um, put into existence for his people to interact with God in a way that they, they could do that without their sin being an obstacle. And in fact, it was such an important part of the system, the, the sacrifices, that Moses had a sacrifice to inaugurate the whole thing. So I don't know if you remember this, but... Um, uh, Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. Four chapters after that, Exodus 24, after the law's been given, like that, that thing has gone down, Moses kind of institutes and inaugurates the whole deal with a sacrifice. So I'll read it for you. It says, Exodus 24, 8. He says, Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, listen to this language, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So, so that is the way that he kind of kicked off this, this way of people interacting with God. It was with the death of a sacrifice. But now we come to the New Testament. Now we're with Jesus in the upper room and something curious happens. He borrows, he reaches back to Exodus 24 and he borrows Moses' language. Listen to what he says. Verse 25, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So he takes that language, but he adds something to it. A couple things. One is, this is the, the new covenant. So, so I'm doing something new here. There's something different going on, right? And now, it is the same thing Moses did in the sense that a, a sacrifice, Jesus is saying a sacrifice is being slain to inaugurate a new system. That is true. But there's something different about it because 
what Moses did in Exodus 24 was find a sacrifice, have it killed. What Jesus is saying is, hey, this sacrifice that's kicking off this new system, this new way of operating between God and man is me. I'm not finding a sacrifice. I am the sacrifice. This is the sacrifice that inaugurates the new covenant. He says, in my blood. Here's what Jesus is saying. The real thing's arrived. You know what I mean? The real thing, like everything that, that, you saw in the Old Testament, as you're reading through the, the Old Testament, if you've ever made it past Exodus, you know, 25 and like into like the, the meat and potatoes of the thing, you know, first off, congratulations, keep going, it's great. Uh, but if you ever have, you've seen, you see a lot of animals, you see a lot of, a lot of things dying on behalf of people and yet it keeps on happening, right? So the day of atonement happens, an animal dies, it's supposed to cleanse the people, but then guess what? A year later, they're doing the same thing. And then there's all these other sacrifices for things throughout the years. And you're going, man, is this, it's just not sticking. Are you not doing well enough? And it's like, no, the point of those sacrifices was never to complete the thing. It was always to point to the thing one day that would complete it. So, so every animal that died in the Old Testament would function like a shadow. Like right here, I'm casting a shadow this way and this way. And that shadow is telling you something. It's telling you that if you trace your eyes from the shadow up, you will find the substance, you will find the object casting the shadow, but the shadow isn't preaching to you right now, I am, right? In the same way, those animals were shadows. They were ways of pointing to something that was coming in the future. And Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, when he was with his disciples, as he breaks the bread and he pours the wine, he's saying, hey, that shadow, you've traced it. Now look up at me, guys, I'm the object. I'm the substance that the shadows were pointing to. This is the new covenant in my blood. This means that my, my body broken, my blood poured out, it, it actually counts permanently in a way that those could never. We're under a new system now. Our debt has finally been paid. Here's what this means. It means you don't, listen, this is for you. You don't have to bring your sacrifices on behalf of your sin anymore. Now, I, I say that and almost nobody here thinks with those words when we're living our life, right? That's not, but I promise everybody here often operates like this. I gotta get it together. If I can get it together, then I can talk to him. He'll be okay with me. Uh, I didn't come to church last week, so maybe I can't ask him for this thing. So maybe I'll start coming to church more regularly. I'll get in this room. I'll, I'll become a good boy. I'll become a good girl. And then, then we're okay. All that is, is sacrifice. This is just you putting another thing on the altar and, and killing it. But you're trying to do it for your sin. We all do this. I do this. You do this. And, and what, commun- what Jesus did in the upper room and what communion does for us is it preaches a sermon to us. And that sermon is, stop. Stop, guys. Hey, it really is done. Like the, sh- the shadows are, are done. It's the substance now. It's the object. He re- Jesus Christ really did. He's, he's God, which means he's the only one that could pay an infinite debt for you. And he did. And so you working for it, I'm talking to you. Listen, you guys, anybody in this room who, who feels the need to work for it, for it to make this thing okay anymore. Communion says, stop. It's already been worked for on your behalf. He's enough. He's sufficient. No more blood needs to be spilled, including your own. It doesn't mean we don't 
labor, it doesn't mean that we aren't living sacrifices, but we're not doing it anymore to atone for sin. That has been taken care of. He's the final sacrifice. And when we take communion, it is a big sermon to our hearts that says, stop and receive the finished payment. I hope that's just a big sigh of relief for some of us in this room. It really is over and done. It is finished means it is finished. But that's not all we're remembering about Jesus. We're remembering that he's the sacrifice, but we're also remembering in communion that he is the satisfier. Now, here's, here's what I mean. Have you ever wondered this? Why bread? Why bread? Why, we, why bread? If the point of, of this is Jesus broke himself to pay for my sin, if that was the point, Jesus could have just given his disciples a bunch of rocks and a hammer that night. He could have said, hey, smash. Every Sunday, I want you to get together and I want you to smash a rock together, right? And we smash the rock and we go, Jesus broke himself for me, right? That would convey the message, wouldn't it? Broken rock, broken Jesus. So why, bre- why did he make it food? Why did he make it bread and wine? Why did he do that? Here's why he did that. Because he is committed to you and I knowing this isn't just a courtroom transaction that's happening. This isn't just a legal matter that's happening. This is a meal. What, if you want to summarize Christianity with one word, you could do a lot worse than this. It's a meal. It is finding Jesus, not just to be the payer of my fine, but the delight of my soul. And I don't know if that's how you think about Jesus. Maybe you're new to like Christianity or you just, maybe it's your first time at church or whatever in a long time and you haven't thought about it like that. I'm just letting you know if, if all Christianity is for you is I trust in him so that I don't go to hell, I'm not sure you are a Christian because that's only a, a half of it. The, The him paying your fine so you don't go to hell is not the punchline of Christianity. Jesus did not die just to get you out of hell. Jesus died to get you to Jesus. That's what this thing is. That's why we talk about it so much as enjoying Jesus here because what it means to be in relationship with him is to know him like a meal. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. We feast on him. Do you know God like that? Or is, he just a, a, is it just a legal matter for you? Because what I'm saying is what Paul said, what God is saying is he's like bread for you. He's like a good drink for you. He satisfies you. And you need to know him like that. That's how we're actually changed. So yes, he is our sacrifice and we remember it when that bread is broken and when we drink of the cup, we remember that he is our sacrifice, but we remember that so that we can remember he's my satisfier. He satisfies me. That's what's happening up here when you come in just a bit. That's what we're thinking of. We're remembering him as sacrifice and satisfier. But I said there were two purposes. So we remember Jesus, yep, Our communion is for Jesus, but it is also for others. Now, what do I mean by that? It's for others. Well, uh, let's remember the issue that Paul's wanting to correct. Think back, we talked about it earlier. There's these factions going on. So there's some rich folks in the church, some well-to-do folks in the church, and they've kind of hijacked 
the, the Lord's table and they've wiped it clean. They've eaten all the stuff, drank all the stuff again. And, and they have sort of made this hierarchical thing where like the poor folks who couldn't like get the access, they don't get Jesus here. And, and, and these guys are drunk and there's like the me over you thing happen and there's elitism happening. And there's, it's, it's, it's what first Corinthians has been about from the beginning. There is arrogance and pride in the church. People are just wanting to be above people. That's what's happening here in the text. And remember, it's so bad that Paul explains God's actually killing some of y'all because of this. Like people are actually getting sick and dying because of their sin as a act of judgment or discipline from God to them. So it's going down like that. And in verse 29, Paul explains why. Why is it that God is responding like this? And he tells us in verse 29, and what he says is a little confusing, which is not really like Paul. That was a joke. Uh... Verse 29, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. What does that mean? Think about it. What does discerning the body mean? So whatever it is, if you don't do it, you're going to get judged by God. So we should probably figure out what it means. Does discerning the body mean I need to think about my body? Like I need to, before I take communion, I need to think about my physique and my skeletal structure and then I take it and then I'm, that's probably not what he's talking about, right? Uh, it, does discerning the body mean that I'm thinking about Jesus's body? Like it's, it's meant to say like, if you don't discern the body, if you don't realize that this is about Jesus, then uh, it's not gonna go well for you. I don't quite think it's that either because if you, you notice in the text, uh, and commentators will point this out. Whenever it's talking about Jesus in communion, it's always talking, uh, it always puts body and blood together. So it's the body and blood of Jesus, the body and blood of Jesus. But here, body is by itself. Well, that's curious. It's just an anomaly. So we're pointing that out. So what might Paul mean if it's not my body and it's not necessarily Jesus that he has in mind, what could he be talking about? Well, I think he gives us a clue in the previous chapter. Uh, in chapter 10, he's actually still talking about communion back then. And in chapter 10, verse 17, he says this. And listen to this. This is the instance near this passage where he's talking about the body by itself. And I want you to look at what he's pairing it with. This will make sense in a second. Listen, verse 17. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. So he's talking about communion and he goes, hey, one bread in communion means one body. It equals one body. One bread equals one body. Okay, so, okay, so I think I'm getting. The communion bread serves as a picture, yes? And we've said it's a picture of what? Jesus, right? His body broken. Jesus said that. But Paul's saying that's not the only picture it's picturing. That's not the only thing it's telling us. It's not just, the bread of communion is not just meant to make you think about Jesus's body. It's meant to make you think about us. He says, just as there's one loaf, one bread, so also we too, who are many, are actually one. So, so when you're up here taking communion here in a little bit, we're not just meant to think about Jesus dying for us. We're meant to think about Jesus dying for us. That there is an us here. That there is, there's something unifying about the taking communion together as a church family. Let me say it a different way. Uh, when we take communion, it's meant to tell me this. I'm not better than you. 
Uh, I'm not cooler than you. My money doesn't make me different than you. Uh, There's no elite status here. We're in the same line, feasting at the same table. We are one. And this is a big deal because there's so many people here with so many different backgrounds. There's so many ways we could divide up, but the Christian message won't allow you to do it. So we come together and we take of the one bread and it's meant to tell us, yeah, and you're one. We're teammates. We're meant to play on the same team here. Communion is a team sport. So this activity not just, is not just meant to make us think about Jesus, but it's meant to unify us. It's meant to preach to us. There's no hierarchy. There's no me over you here. That's, these are the types of things we should be thinking when we're taking communion together. That we're taking it not just for Jesus, but for one another as we come together. Now, let me say one more thing about uh, what I mean when I say we take communion for others, and then we're going to be done. Uh, there's one other sense in which the Lord's Supper is for others. And it's not, it's not as on the nose as these other ones. Um, it's implicit, not explicit in the text. But I just want to say this. As I've discovered this over the years of studying the scripture, it has radically transformed how I interact with the bread and the cup. And so I want, I want to say this to you. Uh, in what other way is it uh, for others? Communion. If you were to simplify this act in, in its most basic terms, like what, what is it basically? Not what does it mean, but what is it just foundationally, basically, you would say something like this. We're eating a sacrifice, right? That's what we're doing. Jesus said, this is my body, my blood, eat this, right? Sacrifice. I, when we come up here, the most basic thing you could say about this moment is we're eating a sacrifice, right? Now that doesn't maybe mean much to you. Maybe it even sounds weird to you to, to say that. But if you were a Jew, especially in this community, it would have meant a whole lot to you. Why? Um, To understand this, you need to understand something about the Old Testament. We're actually going to go back to the very beginning of the sermon. I I read a passage from um, Leviticus. And in Leviticus, I told you that it was sort of the outline from God of how the sacrificial system works. Right? That there's these types of sacrifice for these types of things. And the priest interacts with these sacrifices in this type of way. That's the first uh, nine chapters or so of Leviticus. I'm going to read to you uh, Leviticus 6, 24 through 26. Now, keep in mind, if you, if you have a Jewish background, this is humming in the back of your head as Jesus is talking about eating a sacrifice. I want you to listen to this. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, the priests. That's who the priests are. This is the law of the sin offering. So we're about to find out the protocol for the priests when somebody brings a sin offering. Is that making sense? Okay. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, shall the sin offering be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. Verse 26. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. So here's how this works. Keep keep following with me. In the Old Testament, in the sacrificial system, the priests who were uh, representing the people to God, in order to verify or certify that that sacrifice that you brought with your wife that day for the sin offering, to verify or certify that it was acceptable before God, he would eat it. There would be a portion that would be burnt up. There'd be a portion that would go here. There'd be some blood that would sprinkle. And then the cooked portion, the priest would actually eat 
your sacrifice. The sacrifice of the sin offering was eaten by the priest on your behalf as you brought it. And it was a way to communicate that sacrifice that you brought is acceptable before God and you are now okay with him. Now, uh, here's what's interesting. Um, There was only one person a priest couldn't eat the sacrifice for, couldn't eat a sin offering sacrifice for. Do you know who it was? The priest. A priest couldn't eat the sacrifice for himself. That would be kind of like, I don't know, weird nepotism. Can you be a nepotism if it's one person? I don't know. It's like, it's a little bit self-serving, right? So you couldn't do it for me. I couldn't do it for me, but I could do it for you. Now, if all this seems super weird, let's, t- let's take all that. Just keep it in your mind. We're going to come to the New Testament. Why does this matter? Here's why it matters. I told you at the beginning, the New Testament means new covenant, which means there's a new system here. There's a new way of God interacting with people. He's setting up some new protocols. Here's one of the new protocols we discover in the New Testament. We find it in 1 Peter 2 verse 9. Peter says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. So, and some of you know this, did you know that when you trust Jesus, you are, in the sight of God, a priest? So every person who trusts in Jesus is, in God's sight, a priest to him on this side of the cross. We are all priests. We all represent each other to God now. This is a a breathtaking thing. There is no, like, priestly class and then us. There is us, the priests of God. That's what the text says. So we're all priests, and then the night Jesus is betrayed— he institutes a new ritual, a sacrament. And he says, hey, priests, here's what you're going to be doing. You're going to be eating a sacrifice. Interesting. Now, watch this. What does that mean for communion? We know the rules of the game. We, we, we know what Leviticus says. We know who it counts for and who it doesn't count for. We know that it, it's meant to certify the acceptability of the sacrifice. What does it mean now when you come down here in a little bit and you grab the bread and you drink the cup? What does that mean? It means that when I'm eating the sacrifice, who I'm actually eating it for is not me. It's you. When I take the bread and I drink the cup, what I am doing as a priest of God here is I'm actually saying something, not to my own heart, but actually to you, that the sacrifice was acceptable on your behalf. What Jesus did was accepted. And God has made me, given me the privilege of being able to look at you, and as I partake of it, I get to communicate in that act. He accepted it for you. He accepted it for you. Do you see how beautiful this is? This means that communion is by definition a community activity. It's not an isolated thing. It is meant to be done together because all of these little partakings is a little sermon to each of us from the person standing next to you that Jesus' death was sufficient. The sins that have been hovering over your head and life have been washed clean by the blood of the lamb. And to prove it, I, a priest of God, am actually eating and drinking it on your behalf to say, it's verified, it's certified, it's acceptable. You're clean. No more blemish, no more sin, no more stain. I eat for you. We eat for, do you see how profound that is? This will totally change how we do this. So yes, we are, we are walking in gratitude as we eat as we remember Jesus 
the sacrifice for us. And, we, and when we put it on our tongue and we drink and we taste and we eat, we are thinking with our heart and with our mind, oh, he is not just the sacrifice. He is satisfier. He, he does quench the, the desires in my soul. But we are also doing something else when we are coming. We are eating in a way that says, I'm no better than anybody here. The ground is level at the cross. It's totally flat. I'm in need of grace. You're in need of grace. We're on one team. There's no elitism. And even to prove that, I'm actually eating this not for my own sake, but for your sake. That we are in community, taking communion together. When I eat this, and when you eat that, you are saying to him and her and I to you and you, it's accepted. He's accepted, which means you're accepted. That's a beautiful truth. And we're about to take communion. I'm going to pray, give you the rules, and, uh, and we're going to take communion together. And I want these things to be on your mind because they're precious. And they're meant to sweeten this experience and remind us of the truth of the gospel. So let's pray. Father, this is a very, very, very precious truth. And we don't want to take it lightly. And we want to discern the body. And we want to proclaim the Lord's death till he comes, like the text says. And so as we take communion here in a moment, God, Will you help us by your spirit to bear in mind all these beautiful truths? You are the sacrifice and the satisfier. And you have put us in a family together. And we, we all collectively get to dine on you and preach the sermon to each other. Your debt has been paid. And your debt has been paid. And your debt has been paid. Thank you, Lord, for this truth. Work it into our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.